you're listening to Funk With Fate, a show about being a body and cultivating pleasurable relationships with everything. And I'm your host, Mackenzie McCormick. This podcast will explore how our embodied experiences connect us to the world through astrology, philosophy, dance, magic, and anything that invigorates our aliveness. What makes us feel the most alive? Big inhale, big exhale. Now let's get grooving. Hello, hottie, and welcome to the show. Right now, it is 10.04 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. And at this moment, cancer is rising. And today we are back with Mars, with this series that I am calling the Spicy Rendezvous because it is spicy just as Mars is, and that is what we love about them. Um, And today we are looking at Mars in Leo, and I'm so, so excited to introduce to y'all we have palace on the show today hi and happy to be here I'm mars so is basically exactly on the ascendant where i am right now perfect and yeah mars will yeah mars will rise in my location while we're talking which is perfect um so palace why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself introduce yourself to the people on the pod where you come from with your practice with your roots anything that you wish to share about yourself and what you do I'm Pallas K. Augustine. I'm a writer, an astrologer, an artist, and consultant and magician. My partner and I run Idola Stellarum, which is sort of a ritual, ritual temple space where we primarily create astrological talismans um, and offer them to the world now, where our second collection is coming. Yeah. Um, but we also do, we run events and um yeah, just talk to people about living an inspirited life. It's pretty amazing. Um, I also, yeah, I'm, I've been an astrologer for a million years. Someone first read my chart when I was 12 and I started offering public consultations in like early 2016. And yeah, since then I've primarily worked with clients one-on-one, both in um, in person, my practice was founded in person, although I've also done virtual consultations since then too. And then slowly it's grown to primarily online and which is amazing. It means I get to talk to people from all over the world. And as you will hear from my chart, <laughs> that is like a very good thing for my, my soul. So yeah, what else? I'm originally from so-called Canada, Treaty One territory in Manitoba flatlands and massive skies. I am currently on Mohican land in Western Massachusetts, kind of nestled in between the Taconics and the Berkshires, living that like Northern Appalachian, green, green, green life. Um, Yeah. I have a dog named Vesper. She's a recent addition to our life. And we love her. Will, I'll talk more about her later. We love her. (laughs) Oh, she's so good. She's right here. She's being so good right now. If she has a sunbeam to lie in, she's just like so happy, which like honestly relatable. Um, Yeah, what else? I'm currently, I've been on a hiatus from work. So this is sort of one of my first appearances back to work. Um, I immigrated, so from Canada to the US. And Palace has also been writing a book. 
Oh yeah, the book, the book too. So the book happened. So a year ago, we did a Kickstarter crowdfunding um, my book on the IC, which started in like early 2018. And so that is coming to fruition finally. Yeah, yeah. So we're in we're in editing mode, and I mean, some of it's like edited already, and like just being proofread, and then some of it's still in its you know like the method chapter when it got into revisions became three method chapters. <laughs> so so it's good, it's good, and there's like a manifesto chapter which I'm being like very careful with because I think it's actually like a pretty important document as far as what I do and we do goes so yeah I'm taking our time and um excited for the 500 amazing backers to finally get their copies sooner than later I'm so excited to get my book (laughs) y'all y'all don't understand you were such a huge supporter of it from like so early on I'm so excited about this book y'all um also because pals and I just have great synastry and so whenever the icy book like was even launched I was like ah yes this is resonating wholly Mm -hmm. and deeply oh Um, yes oh yes so um let's go ahead and dive in so since we're kind of talking about chart placements and stuff um palace has mars in leo of course um do you want to share like with us what you're comfortable sharing about your chart sure I am. Yes. I've Mar- Let's build it from Mars. So I have Mars and Leo in the ninth. So I'm a Sag rising. Um, we love Sag risings on the pod. <laughs> anybody who knows anybody about me knows we love Sag risings on the pod. Sag risings also just seem to know and love other Sag risings. It's <laughs> no universally one else, known. No one else can stand us. Truly like, and it was actually very funny at Norwalk last year, there was like a group, there were like three or four Sag Risings talking and like one Scorpio rising. And they were like, y'all are a lot right now. Y'all are a lot right now. Love y'all, but y'all are a lot right now. Fire placements. Like, yeah. So Sag Rising, but my Jupiter's in Aquarius in the third. So there is a sort of Saturnian, airy, weird detachment quality, despite all my fire. Um, And then my midheaven is in Virgo, ruled by Mercury, also in Leo, and they're pretty close. Um, my lot of spirit is also in Leo, and mm-hmm. so they're all ruled by a sun in Virgo. First decan, it's some of the only actual dignity in my chart. <laughs> so I have this like first decan Virgo sun, um, which is like a very good decan, if I do say so myself. Yeah, well, and so honestly, it's... all of the decans of Virgo are really nice. Bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's, but it's pretty, it's pretty close to Regulus. So, mm-hmm. and it's also in a parent to Regulus. So we got lots of we got that Regulus sun, Leo lion, mm-hmm, going on. Um, yeah, and then my other placements will come out as we as we talk. Yeah. But those are kind of the most relevant ones, I think, in terms of my Mars. Yeah, absolutely. And I was so excited to have Pallas on specifically having Mars and Leo, but also having Mars and Leo in the ninth house. Um, you know, even though it is not the sun, the sun exalt or rejoices in the ninth house, excuse me, it's Mars ruled by the sun. And there's a relationship that Mars and the sun have together that I view as so special, even though Mars is a nocturnal planet, the Mars solar relationship is so special. And I was so excited about this episode and this placement as a whole. Um, so yeah, really excited you're here and to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is powerful. And I feel like 
having this conversation with Mars kind of, I mean, I love Mars and cancer in a human. It's like one of my favorite Marses, but Mars in the sky when it's transiting, I just like, I always forget how bad I feel. It's sensitive. Yeah. So we're, yeah. So y'all right now, Mars is at the 28 degrees of cancer. So we are recording this right as Mars is about to ingress into Leo and as palace is about to start their Mars return, but it's the final degrees and they're definitely hitting hard because Mars and cancer has felt and always feels pretty soft. Yeah. Yeah. And tired, but Mars and cancer, to be clear, I love in a human. It's like, I have so many people dear to me with Mars and cancer. And it's just like, it is such a different, um, such a different beast than Mars and Leo for sure. Yeah. That, I mean, of course, and, and all Leo placements depend on the condition of the sun. And my son is pretty blessed. Like it's in, it's in the 10th. Your son is blessed. Yeah. It's in the 10th whole sign, but it is like, it's on the opposite side of the sun from the angle. So it actually is like pretty cadent dynamically. And that, that I definitely feel that it's like, I feel like other people really see the like 10th houseness of the sun. Um, but when it comes to like any like control or say I have over it, it's like very not, <laughs> not there. It is, um, it is a, it, it's one of those, uh, well, and this is, this is a Virgo sun's generally, I feel like a bit like this, but that kind of like resistant to the calling, you know? So I feel like a lot of my a lot of my Mars and Leo and the Mars sun day night relationship too is, is, is about like managing that. Right. And there is this relationship to Eros and um, this like surrendering to the call and all that shit. Mm. So I feel like that's all part of that Mars sun relationship. Very much so. Yeah. Especially in Leo. Um, I guess before we go any further, I want to go ahead and put it out there that we are talking about Mars. Want to put a trigger warning here that we might talk about things that are sensitive, potentially very triggering. Um, Mars is considered a malefic planet and involves things or can involve things such as aggression and inflammation, injury, anger, potentially illness, things like that. And just to be aware of that as we talk about things that that can come up um, and to be aware of yourself and your body as we discuss these things, if you're not in a place that you want to hear that and handle that right now. Um, So take care of yourself and your body first and foremost, always um, before we can move forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's dive in. Mars in Leo is ruled by the sun. And so, like you said, it's very dependent on the condition of the sun, but by and large, the sun likes it big and bold and beautiful. And I love Mars in Leo because it really feels to have an almost unapologetic approach to doing things. And I have such respect for that, Mm -hmm. that I love to watch a Mars in Leo, like really do the thing because they do the thing in a way that no one else can do the thing. Yeah, there's definitely a relationship with authenticity and that it it has that kind of like malefic Mars undeniable quality, right? And it just so, I mean, Mars and Leo is one of those, is one of those placements that I feel like is, is more fun to watch than it is to embody. That's very true. Wow. It's it's valid. It's valid. Because it is beautiful to watch. Yeah. And it is, there is a there there's like an interesting power to it for sure that's not like a traditional mars like dignified mars power right it's more like a um 
there's like, there's, there's a force that is about bigness rather than it is about like incisiveness or sharpness. Um, yeah. Thinking about like, I was, I was so, when I was a kid in one of my principal's office, he had like, this is such a weird thing to have in an office. Um, we had like a, a blowfish that was like blown up. It was like a taxidermy blowfish. It's like Prairie Canada. I don't know. Very strange, but it was like, so, so um, pointy. Right. But it was actually, you could tell it was this like very soft kind of fish. And the only, you know, it was like fake that it was so big. It was like blown up and its spikes would get all like um, aggressive. Right. But it was just like a scare tactic. It it was actually still like a very vulnerable creature. It just had this like bigness. It would put on this kind of like bigness quality. And so I feel like that's part of, that's kind of a a bit, a bit of Mars and Leo, like how uh, aggressively shiny. Mm. Yeah. That's a really good descriptor. Aggressively Mm. shiny. (laughs) Because very larger than life to the Mm -hmm. point of almost putting on a show. And I know that that's very much a Leo trope. Like uh, people really love to put that on Leo. Like, oh my God, you love the drama. You love to put on a show. But like, if the shoe fits, the shoe fits. Well, Um, with Mars, it's also a a defense mechanism too, right? It's a way of, it's a way of protecting ourselves. Um, Yeah. And it just so happens to be quite like people like it. People love it. But people like it. And so it's a way to, it's a, it's one of the more relatable Marses, I guess I would say too. Um, there's something, and this is also Leo placements. This is something about people can generate, like Leo placements gets projected on like a lot. Um, and so there is this way of the, the it's, it's, it's like literally relatable. People like recognize. And so a Mars and Leo, there is something um, almost like aspirational about it. And there's like, I feel like it's the things I get complimented on are often things that seem related to my Mars, like more than my son, more than my Sag placements. Like it's usually, I'm like, oh, that's my like Mars Mercury, right? And of course, Mercury rules my midheaven. So it makes sense that people Mm. are, people are seeing that, but it's like that Mars quality coming into it. Like when it's like, about like bravery or audacity or confidence, you know? And I'm like, these are really kind of sensitive things for me. Like they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're hard won as most Mars gifts are. Um, and for them to be so visible, right. And have this like undeniable quality, like as you mentioned, like Mars is a night sect planet. There is, you know, like Mars and cancer with triplicity. Like I always think about that. Like I think about this, these like Mars functioning at these hidden depths, right. And how mm. like that being a preferable kind of mode of being. Um, and then it's like Mars and Leo. <laughs> Balls a blazing. Yeah. I was like, putting yeah just like having all your kind of like vulnerabilities on the stage and that being the thing that you're like lauded about yeah absolutely and that being the thing that people so highly commend you for and being able to simultaneously protect yourself while also revealing parts of yourself as well it's a very dual approach that is taken when you're like, here are these things about me that are so vulnerable and so soft and so intimate, but yet I'm able to show them in a way that is so specifically tailored to be 
presented in a way that you now are like, oh my God, look at you and what you have done when literally it's like the softest ooey gooeyest parts of yourself. It's like, oh, I had to, to survive. Okay. To survive. Yeah. It was a survival mechanism. And that is something that Mars truly does better than any other oh, planet, yeah. which is know how to survive in any given mm-hmm. environment um, that they're given. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's something there too, about like day sect, night sect. I mean, having Mars as like my malefic out of sect, like there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of my life that can be put to my fucking Mars that is like not uh pleasurable right that are that are very Mars um specific experiences mm-hmm. and but of course also those are like you know my experiences of trauma disability homelessness like all these things you, you find them and inevitably they end up coming back to my Mars and I mean also Saturn but that we can talk about that in a bit and like having that, of course, also be, you know, the whole time I was homeless, I was like basically making my living as an astrologer. I was also in grad school, but of course that wasn't really paying me. I was like paying to do that. Yeah. Um, and well, for the, for the first couple of years, it did pay me, but then it didn't. And I became an astrologer, <laughs> but I was, you know, I was, uh, out and about, I was like on, I was online talking to my clients, like even though I would see people in person, I was like traveling across the country and the continent doing readings. Like I would end up, I would, I would sort of like enough people would ask me for a reading, say in like Montreal, that eventually there would be this like critical mass where I was like, okay, I can afford to like get there. And then I would go there and do a bunch of in-person readings. And then the same thing would happen. And I was like, okay, I can like get a flight to the West coast with like all the, with these readings that people are booking with me out there. And it's like, that is such a, having these like survival needs being so visible and being like essential to my personality and in many ways like my brand although I wasn't like consciously doing a lot of that at the time and then so so, so to sort of have and for that to be something that people then kind of like associate with me Mm -hmm. right and it's just like I was just like so much of my career right I was like I'm just like doing the thing to like make it work right and then Mm -hmm. it turns out that that's also like what makes me a good astrologer and what makes me an interesting writer. And it's like, these are the reasons people gravitate to like me and my art. And it's like, that's literally my Mars. Like, absolutely. Yeah. That is a very Mars Mars in the ninth house being a Sag rising and like your survival mechanism and what you did was literally traveling and doing astrology. Yeah, exactly. that's yeah so yeah for anybody that's not like super familiar the ninth house is very literally like long distance travel and higher philosophies (laughs) like traveling and thinking that's like condensed boiled down ninth house yeah it's like literally my personality but it's real I mean that's the thing too because it's so tied into my son it's not Mm. like yeah yeah so in terms of like the show right Mm. it's like it ends up being a show but it's you know, I think about, I think about like comedy. I'm really, I'm not a comic, but like, I make people laugh a lot and it's like, they're, they're re, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying. It's just, mm. it's just like, that's, that's, that's just what happens when I'm like fully in presence and like 
holding my experience and able to like connect with people. And it's like just coming from where that is. And a lot of that is my Saturn square too, right? Mm. Is like the the medicine that comes from that is this like, it's like relatability, which is funny because then of course I'm ruled by a planet in Aquarius. And, <laughs> and like, what's that? Yeah, you know, <laughs> just this alienation factor that is not really the topic of discussion for today, but is relevant in terms of like my Saturn. So I'm mm. of the Saturn and Scorpio generation. And so my Mars rules my Saturn as well as being in an overcoming square. It's one of the closer aspects, like degree-based aspects in my chart also. Mm. So this is like a pretty pronounced, um, yeah, it's a pretty pronounced piece of my experience. And it's like my Saturn return was a very Mars time. And it's like Saturn then kind of moving between my return and then through Sag, you know, over my ascendant and then into this trine with my Mars. So coming from the natal square, to like this trine was really this period of me being like, um, like my Saturn return was, it brought me, I'd already been practicing astrology for years, but it brought me like astrological magic and it brought me like daily ancestor work. Basically that was my Saturn return in the 12th in Scorpio. Um, and moving between that and then this like trine to my Mars was this period of being like, it kind of revolutionized like my writing and my art because I was like, oh, actually I tend to hide behind my openness and vulnerability because it's like, and not just in my art, but also in my personal relationships and also just in people. And so it's like, it's, there's, it evacuated any kind of showiness to it or any kind of like attempting to manipulate my audience or like manipulate people in my life um not that that was always conscious of course mm. but that it was like um attempting to manage others responses to me and my art mm. and my writing and this actually relates to one of the examples I came up with which is super interesting and that's for later but um <clears throat> yeah and so the this mars square my saturn mars square my saturn saturn square my mars is very much about this like refinement of authenticity i guess mm -hmm. and this like i mean saturn in the 12th of any way like it's in its joy it is very it happy there i'm still on the, like in a day chart i think saturn in its joy does I don't think it softens it as like a joy uh, doesn't know, soften a planet. In it strengthens it. Yeah. In like a. Well, in a weird way. Yeah. It doesn't like make it better. <laughs> no, guess. not it better. Yeah. It does. It may, but it does make it like. I think I have a stronger relationship with Saturn mm. because it's in my 12th than like other planets that are in the 12th than people's relationship to them if that mm. makes sense. Oh, um, for certain. Yeah. yeah. I know that I personally have a very strong relationship with my Mars because it's rejoicing. Um, yeah, totally. and it's by based on those standards alone, I usually call it the strongest planet in my chart. Um, cause there's yeah. not much, there's not much other strength that you can call on in my chart, quite frankly. So you got to take what you can get. Um, and it's Mars. <laughs> And Mars was like, I will take everything that I can get. Actually, I have this one shred of crumb. I will actually take a, an entire loaf now. Thank you. Um, oh, they do that. They, they yeah, do that rejoicing sure. planets do that. They get very comfortable there. Um, mm. But yeah, I yeah. 
I have so many thoughts about all of the amazing things that you just said, specifically though, the Mars square Saturn and what you were saying about hiding behind vulnerability, because that's a concept with Mars and Leo that I think is so beautiful, that ability to put so much out, um, especially as a person who has Saturn rejoicing, like in the 12th, you know, there is so much, so many layers that you could potentially show. And then very carefully having to know what you can show to protect yourself the most. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, and this is, there, there is a piece about, and I mean, I'm still aware of this and there is, um, it's like you, you've done the kind of work with like Cap Tolley and the branding work. And I mean, she's basically revolutionized how I show up. And then also um, Sarah Chapel, who's like a business coach who I've also worked with. And there is this, this aspect of like the more public, the more public of a person you are, the more there is that you have to keep to yourself in order to not lose it. <laughs> like literally not to lose not lose it, it. And lose yourself. Right. And so there is, and, and that definitely relates to, um, like, hard shit I've gone through very like Saturn Mars square related it's like yeah I mean I'll talk about you know some of the trauma and some of the disability and I'll be like really open with it um but like there's a there's there's a lot going on that I never talk about publicly mm. right and so it's kind of like you're sort of iceberg seeing like a tip of the iceberg and I think that's a very Mars and Leo um Mars and Leo expression is like, well, if I have to be honest with you, this is what I'm you're going to get. be very precise about what I'm about, like what I'm revealing, right? There's mm. like a, yeah, I think that revealing word and process is like a pretty Mars and Leo, um, Mars and Leo expression. Yeah. Going like the big reveal. It makes me think of like the makeover right. shows where they have like the big reveal of the person. They're like, here's the before, here's everything that they went through, their hardships, their process, their thinking. And then they're like, here's the big reveal. Look at the after. And then oh, everyone yeah. oohs and ahs. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, you went through so much. You went through so much. And it's like this big thing. And they have to stand there and be like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Curated <laughs> struggle literally like a curated struggle of like this is everything that I went through to get to this beautiful glorious point that you can now give me applause for yeah yeah mm -hmm. but there's also something to that though in terms of like and this might be like ninth house stuff right is there is a um a valuing like a valuing of the journey mm -hmm. in a way that's not like bypassy right it doesn't you know, like when I'm working with clients or the IC book, the case stories in the IC book, they're explicitly like those case story sessions I did. So just if no one, if people aren't familiar, the IC book is um, based on case stories from my client work. So from my whatever, seven years, I guess now of client work. And if I'm still an astrologer after the Saturn square, we know it's like real, <laughs> um, but so what, so what we did was um, people either volunteered or I reached out to them about doing follow-up interviews to our original client session. And so there's some variability in that in terms of what is then actually included in the book, but it's like the follow-up sessions that we had were me basically like sitting them down and being like, 
it, we didn't start with the astrology. Like, of course I'd studied their charts and I had their signature up and I'd done all of the fancy astrology stuff, but I really sat them down and I was like, what do you want to give yourself some credit for? And of course, some people were like, nothing, <laughs> but I was like, no, there's, there's, you have come this far and you've gotten yourself this far. And of course, with a lot of my, with a lot of my clients and my communities, it's like, it's kind of impressive if people make it past 20, right? Especially if people make it past 30, like that's, you know, with my own specifics, like statistically it is like pretty cool. Like I celebrated when I hit 30, I was like, okay, sweet. Like now, now we're good. Like we got past this point and like, we can make it to 90 or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I really, I feel that with, with my clients and with my communities. And it's like, what do you, what do you want to give yourself credit for in terms of um, either your healing or your magical or your ancestral, or just like your homecoming journey, basically. And the stories that people came out with, like, of course they all aligned with their IC signatures <laughs> because it's like such a, such an IC kind of story, like no matter where your IC falls. Um, and that piece about, I also, you know, understand time to be nonlinear, like in terms of living with trauma and working with astrology. And I have this like really intense relationship with like the living cycles of the planets and um, being able to kind of take this relational astrology approach into uh, these cycles and into understanding that people's journeys is really like what matters you know, and it's not like from A to B, it's not from like the IC to MC. It's like, we're always going back and forth and around. And so, yeah, the, the case stories in the IC book, it's like, what happens if we start with people's journeys? Like what happens if that kind of like process of makeover, <laughs> you know, but on like a cosmic scale is the like, is the why of what we're doing, what we do. And I think that like Mars and Leo in the ninth, that it is, this is an expression of that in terms of me being like, yeah, okay. You know, like the hardship is what matters. These pieces of struggle are an intimate part of who you are, but like also all of the agency that you exerted during that time, all of the, like, even if you were without choice, the movement and the magic that you were able to perform while fate was having its way with you, right? Like that is what we're cultivating and what we're attending to. And like, really what is the, the focus of any kind of healing journey. And so that, yeah, I feel like that is a, it shows really strongly in, in the case story process and in what ends up being part of the book itself. And like, yeah, this just all relates to the IC. And I think about, I think about Mars and Pisces, like night triplicity all the time and like my own IC and like the bound it's in. And yeah, there's just, there's a relationship to it. That's kind of like a, you know, bounds are so like, there's sort of like secret relationships, they're like secret gifts. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's like a Mars and Leo thing there too. Mm -hmm. Like other people other people's struggles. Yeah. Because you're, but your IC is in Mars bounds or Deccan mm -hmm. bounds. Yeah. Bounds. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm, that tracks. Mm, especially for me too, because ours are so close. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, wait, Deccan too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bounce mm-hmm. and Deccan. It's yeah. the MC that's also in the bounce of Mars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my gosh. So actually, this is so interesting to me because some of the things that you've been talking about, um, especially Mars and Leo, like in the ninth and being ruled by the sun, which is in Virgo, so close to Regulus that you have, you're, you are so diurnal that it is so interesting that often I feel like people don't expect perhaps diurnal people to be so Mars because it's like the malefic out of sect. But oftentimes I'm realizing that the malefic out of sect is kind of the one that comes forth more loudly at times because mm-hmm. it is not necessarily unhappy as a word, but has to do more to be comfortable. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also I'm like my, my son is in Virgo and then my Mercury Mars are both and in Mer- Leo, Leo and then my Venus is in cancer and so it's like all my planets are also morning star planets and Mm. so they're like the sky was very bright even before the sun came up um oh yeah yeah because of all the starlight mm -hmm. so they are all all yeah all morning stars and like especially my venus is like pretty it's pretty it's it's not near greatest elongation but it's closer to that than it is to being combust and so there's a yeah and Mars definitely exists um exists in that that space too it's like the Venus or the the Mars sun conjunction which happens every two years Mm. before I was born was in cancer and so Mm. it actually isn't that isn't that far it was only like a month or two before I was born and so it's like the sun is moving like very fast past Mars. Mars, right? When, um, when I was born and there, so I'm born very near the beginning of a Mars sun cycle. Mm. Yeah. And so I feel like that has something to do with kind of how loud my Mars is, Mm. um, in other people's experience of me as well. And I mean, this is the other thing, right? Is like, I, and this is just sun placements as well. There is a I mean, there's a, there's like a likability and that relatability factor, but anytime like I hit a certain amount of notoriety in any kind of like industry or scene, like I start being polarizing to people. Mm. Like they're definitely, and it's happened like multiple times in my life. Mm. And I feel like it's at the point where like coming back from hiatus, I'm like, I must be prepared. (laughs) for like for this to happen now um and but that is like a mars out of sect um for sure kind of thing and then also in leo right Mm -hmm. and having this having that having that honestly not impact me all that often on a interpersonal level like of course Mm -hmm. of course sometimes the mars square saturn can be really hard um but because it's in the ninth and twelfth it's it's yeah is it's not that immediately relevant to my like interpersonal one-on-one friendships and stuff, although it does come up from time to time, but I feel like it is quite, um, visible when you have to promote yourself. Yeah. And there is this, 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 this awareness of it, but also this like 
solar Martian recognition because it's undeniable it's also inevitable and this kind of like acceptance of it to a certain extent and I think all Leo placements have to go through a process of sort of accepting that um it is part of the the <laughs> coming into I guess like I mean just adulthood but also coming into relationship with um like society and however that looks for anyone's journey does come with a certain extent of like accepting accepting responsibility for it and like Ari Felix dear one of the dearest to my heart they talk about um like solar sovereignty right mm -hmm. and this like this ability and then in the IC book we talk about this because it's like there is a way that um coming into a responsible relationship with the sun in a way that that is 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 grounded and doesn't like deny the nocturnal right but that in fact kind of like mm. amplifies it almost yeah absolutely but without like consuming it this yes. is like part of what the manifesto I'm writing has like has stuff about this in, and also like the method chapters because I do it's it's when I first started the IC book I thought in 2018 I thought it was like about kind of a revaluation of the nocturnal Right. Mm. And I was like, because I was looking around and I was looking at other people's astrology practices and like what was being written and stuff. And I was like, this is all about the sun, like, which is fine. I love the sun, obviously. obviously. But I was like, this is, this is not all there is. And this is very confusing to me because I don't experience this as all there is. Mm. And to be able to, and then, but going through the, going through the case story process and like my own process of that first, because I didn't start the case story process until 2020 because I got, mm. um, I got invited to speak at the inner sense healing arts, which is um, Kelsey Rose Tort and Drew Levante invited me to do a talk there on my IC work. And that's how the astrology of coming home um, first happened. And so that was, and then I also launched my Patreon to explicitly support the doing of the research and the case stories, like to allow me to actually have time to be able to devote to research. And so that'll happen in 2020. So there is this like this couple years between when I first sat down and wrote like 20,000 words of a manuscript in like winter, early 2018 to 2020, where I kind of, I was doing my own research with clients and my own chart. And um, just like I had sort of become established socially within the like international, more international astrological industry and just being like, okay, so who's talking about the IC when there was like very few people like Melanie Reinhardt. But yeah, Melanie I was about to Reinhardt say, was was about to say about basically one person until that point. Yeah. So, and now it's like become a lot more common, which I'm so excited about and blessed about. Um, but to be able to like have that first couple of years which I was also writing my master's thesis. So yeah, which is not busy other, at all, which is a whole, it was like a road trip home, like epic. It just also fits with my. Yeah. That tracks, so much. That oh, tracks entirely like, um, wow. <laughs> living different worlds. Um, and to be able to be like, oh, this is, um, this is not about the revaluation of the night. And actually it's a symptom of like, my own whiteness and like colonizer settler bullshit that I think the night has to be saved in the first place. 
hollering. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Okay. So that's also like not my lane as well, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. Screaming. So, so what the hell is the book about then? And like, what are we doing here? If we're like focusing on the IC, which is like the darkest point in the chart. Mm. It's the point in the chart where like, you actually can't reach See, it. Like, yeah. I was about to is, say that. It's so, it is. Yeah. So, and it does have this quality of being, um, it's not just not like dark, it's like night, like Nyx, like primordial, mm, like what yes. came before the light, right? Like what Absolutely. came before the sun. Um, and so it's like, that's sort of this, this place of the IC. And I was like, it's very hell? fertile. Oh yeah. It's totally. so fertile. It's so like, I think of it and I think of it as just like this very like moist garden. That's just like ready to bloom because even if you were born during the day, you know, the yes. IC is quite literally the most nocturnal point in your chart, like yeah. regard exactly. even more than the moon hypothetically, because the moon could mm -hmm. be like invisible next to the sun. You can't even see it when you were born hypothetically. And so it's like that IC is that darkest, deepest, most mm -hmm. like fecund point in the chart. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love it. Like, yeah. Um, and we, so, can, tell, we can tell that I also have a water Pisces. Oh, like a water Pisces. I see because that's what, like the way it visualizes to me, which oh, makes perfect God. sense that it's this yeah, like juicy, similar. fertile place. Oh my God. You're going to love one of the stories, GK. Um, it's, it's a story about, okay. I, I don't even want to talk about it because it's like, people can't actually buy the book. Yeah, rip. Because <laughs> the first edition is just through the Kickstarter, so like whenever I talk about it, I don't want to like promote it too much because otherwise people will be waiting for a second edition. Like, okay, Austin Copic. For... I know. <laughs> okay, Austin Copic. Bless him. And we I'm we love him. For we all love it happens. We all love him. Happens. We all love him. We all just like really want the second edition of Thirty Six Faces. We well, actually in this household have a first edition. You're bl you're blessed. You're lucky. I was like one of my one of my favorite tweets was, "Is it love or do they have a first edition of Austin Comics 36 Faces?" I don't know a love like rains. that, but I don't know a love like that. Coffee. But I love that for you. I love that you know a love like that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So the in doing that work and kind of like uncovering all that, it was like, okay, so actually what we're doing here is we're like, we are recuperating the solar in some way by attending to the IC. And it's like, because the, you know, the day will just like, it's consume. already consumed itself and it'll just consume the night in order to try and like deal with its own like guilt and violence violence and like one of my favorite poverty. one of my favorite real life examples of this is how literally when you look at a map of the world at night you see light all over it because of how many large cities and how much light pollution there is and the literal visual of like a nasa image of light consuming the darkness is so apt for the way that society is running and operating right now and what society clearly values and what it has thus forced people to value to survive in these conditions. Um, I would not be so bold to say that I think that I can save the night. Um, but as an extremely nocturnal person, it is something that I'm like, oh man, maybe the whole world is running on diurnal values that don't fucking work for some people. 
and really work for anybody when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it. Because without, if you focus on one, you're missing the other and everybody needs balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like a, like what's working for the earth. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah there's um there's a I'm I'm starting to consider myself a bit of like a night sky activist which Mm. I mean I have like in my hometown I have this memory of being a teenager and they put up a they put up like some new bar in town which it was very small so this was a huge deal um put up like a spotlight like throughout the through the sky to move around the sky and like me and my like teenage partner like wrote letters to the editor and to the city and we had like a whole campaign and so they had to they actually had to stop using it unless it was like weekends while it was open and so they had to like like turn it off at 2 a.m and so anyway it was like so I was like this is happening for a long time um but yeah, when and I was doing some research for the manifesto, I don't know why I was like, naturally, I should get off the phone and go write it. But um, it when I was doing that research, I was like, I did, um, I was looking into like the actual scientific research of night sky brightness, um, mm. which is like there is there is the issue of obviously of just light pollution, which is what we're talking about in terms of like our subjective orientation of how dark the night sky is um, wherever we are but that's still like if you go to one of the like if you go just a bit north of where I grew up you'll still be able to see the northern lights you'll still be able to see the milky way it'll still be there right but of course with like the increasing um, presence of satellites right shiny satellites and with just like the space garbage that's increasingly up there the night sky brightness is actually literally just increasing no matter where you are on earth and so like for me I'm like oh fuck like that's what's happening it's like so night sky gazing like will only be visible when you're able to actually leave the atmosphere If enough satellites are up there, enough garbage is up there towards like night sky. And of course, like the actual, you know, the major constellations, the planets, like those kinds of things will be visible for a long time. It would take a lot for those to be invisible, Mm. but that like that backdrop, right. That fixed star backdrop, Mm -hmm. that like Mm -hmm. that Milky way, those minor constellations, the like nebula. I mean, there's nebula that are so important for cultures all around the world indigenous cultures that just won't be visible it's like Mm. what the hell it's like I mean it is just like a new colonialism but there is a I was about to say that's like the new way that's like new wave capitalism taking over like exerting their force over not just the earth that we're living on but the sky and the atmosphere and continuing to expand their reach outside of earth into space and Mm -hmm. extend their will of power Mm -hmm. um mm, yeah that deeply upsets me but now I'm haunted (sighs) about this like night sky gazing only for those who are and thinking about like Mm. consumer rockets you know and like consumer moon flights and it's like yeah I mean you'll have to get there in order to be able to see some of these pieces of our sky that used to just be visible Visible. everywhere because cultures have developed for thousands of years based on being able to see all this and it's like what like what does that do like I don't I don't I don't 
want to know like I don't want to know there's like that's for the speculative fiction writers you know but it's Mm. like now we're living it um yeah definitely now we're living it um especially yeah as like things like that literally occlude the sky, more big cities, more lights pop up that you just can't see it from our angle without any of the space garbage, like all of those essentially barriers to entry to be an embodied human engaging with the sky without a telescope or software or whatever it is, just like a normal ass human walking outside, being able to look up and know where they are in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, yeah, I can't really express how much that bothers me, especially because for me, being such a nocturnal person has come from an understanding of what the sky looked like at the moment that I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, Because by all means, a person could look at my chart and be like, wow, the sun is the most angular planet in your chart. You are so solar. And I put on a really good show, y'all. Put on a really (laughs) good show. But Venus was an evening star. So Venus was retrograde, had already risen or had not set yet, excuse me. And the moon had already risen and was near full. And so I have come to such an embodied understanding of what the sky looked like and felt like. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I love, I live in Florida for those who don't know, and there's basically no mountains. I'm flat. I'm at sea level. Um, and one of the things that I love is that gives me a very embodied relationship with watching the planets rise and set and being able to visibly see them very close to that actual moment, especially if it's like setting and I'm looking like over the ocean or watching something set so literally and then being able to see that as well on the eastern horizon if you just go across like just across the bay and you can see the planets rising over the bay and it's so literal and visceral in my body that the thought of any of that and obviously planets they're so large and big even though they seem small to our eye they're freaking huge um but they're so massive that they won't get occluded, but all of those fixed stars and all of those things that are so deeply woven into the sky map for so many civilizations and generations of people. Yeah. I, that just, not surprising that this Mars episode has gone into our deep rage about the sky. Well, yeah. I mean, ninth house too. Like, it's like, okay, so here's a case study in like what a Mars in Leo in the ninth house, like devotes their life to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And also the things that you, and also the thing that you feel in yourself, maybe you're not capable of doing it and you're within your reach, but something that you feel deserves to be protected. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like just, it deserves being protected. It deserves being defended and being safeguarded against proliferation. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, um, there's a piece to this like a sad rising many lives thing, but um, I have a master's degree in something that's more related to what I do as an adult, but um, my undergrad degree was um, in English. I did a double major in English, a bunch of things, but I ended up with a major in English literature and one in environment and resource studies and science. Mm-hmm. So it's like I studied international climate policy and international conservation policy. And so this like idea of positioning astrologers as defenders of the night sky is a very like conservate it's like taking conservation ethic towards and like ecology ethic and that's the like relational astrology relational astromagic it's like this is this is where I'm this is where I'm standing (laughs) Mm. it's like this is where I ended up and it, it brings all of this together and it is this like to with technology we have this amazing capacity more so than ever 
for people to be connected to the planets and to be connected to the astronomical orientation. And of course, makes it accessible to people who um, have low vision or to people who are blind, right? There's a way that this, this increases accessibility to the night sky on so many levels. But of course, at the same time, for many of us, it needs to be balanced in some way with actual embodied presence. And of course, this is what so many of us are on about um, in terms of like actual relationship. And like that includes for many people, a visual sky and like observational astrology relationship and like learning about heliacal rises, right? Learning about, um, learning about the cycles in terms of like being able to identify a square in the sky versus a trine and like understanding how that feels like moon phases and all that. It's like, there's a, there's a way that this becomes, um, becomes part of us. And like the mystery, it's like, so the difference between, I guess not where I am now, but like when I lived in Montreal, which I lived there for on and off for like a decade, Ancho Giaga. And in the, there you could see the planets still, like you, most of them, I don't think you could see Saturn. You could rarely see Mercury, but like Venus, Jupiter, Mars, they were invisible in the sky all the time, no matter where you were in like the brightest center of the city. Um, but also they were really easily visible and like really, which, which was beautiful, but also like compared to where I grew up, which is like Milky Way, like Northern Lights land. It's like the planets are actually kind of hard to spot sometimes. And so you had Mm -hmm. to like, you had to learn the stars. You had to learn the constellations. You had to be able to recognize the ecliptic in the night sky to be able to be like, oh yeah, that is Venus. Like that's Mm. not serious, you know? And like to be able to kind of orient yourself. Um, And like that, when we lose night sky brightness, we lose that capacity for developing that sort of Mm. discernment, right? And like that is being able to come into relationship with the night sky and with the night from a very diurnal culture like that discernment is a huge part of because the sun can just erase difference, right? And this is how it gets um, really mutated when it comes to white supremacy culture and the way that there's a an absorption and a disarming of difference and like how violent that can be and like that does mirror the way the sun can just like over like over like overexposure overexposure right Mm -hmm. and like that process of like blinding light you know or like light that is totally overwhelming um yeah I'm thinking of like an overexposed photo that has like the exposure all the way up and like everything's whited out and so it's like very harsh to the eye you have to it takes a very long time to discern what's in there because it's Mm -hmm. so bright and so harsh and it comes off very disconcerting because you're trying to essentially find your find your bearings and find like where, especially without when things are so overexposed and so bright, there's not a lot of differentiating shapes or textures. So you're like, what yeah. size is this? How what's the importance of this? What's the yeah. scale? And all of those, all of those questions on a large scale, um, writ large everything. Yeah. Well, and with the light, it's like the, the definition that does exist is very sharp and harsh, right. Versus when you, when you're in the dark, 
and there's not like, you can't see a lot on a, on a similar level. Like it's the definition gets very soft, right? Like mm -hmm. things blend into each other, like things blend into the background rather than it just being like, this is here and this is not here. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's like, oh, it's all kind of the same, maybe sort of, of the made up of the same stuff. Um, and so there is this way that like losing the discernment of being able to, you know, identify a star amongst mm. this like vast backdrop of stars sort of does mirror ideologically this um, like wanting everything to be the same and the kind of like flattening of whiteness that happens and just the like, and how enforced it is, right? And so it's like that and then this being, um, like light pollution primarily being spread by like oil and gas development still the big corporations um, well but then yeah and then also um quote-unquote sprawl right mm. with like our big box stores that are still being built mm -hmm. and, and and not even at this point now I guess it's it's um like uh Amazon fulfillment centers right mm. like when one of those shows up on the map it's like so much light 24 hours a day yeah. um and of course they're usually in places that wouldn't necessarily have that otherwise have and that light yeah so yeah this, this, so this is all, <laughs> this is all bringing everything together but astrologers right. as kind of like defenders of this feels like a very uh very potent way. and it is a way so this coming into my work as an astrologer is mm -hmm. a very like mars and leo um it has that like uh, it's like, um, I don't know, like six of wands, seven of mm. wands, this like, um, there's like a warrior capacity to it, but it's not the Absolutely. same as like Mars and Aries. Right? No, not it's the like, same. It less, it's like very righteous different. and divine. Yes. Like, especially was, in the ninth house for me. Like I was thinking of the word righteous actually, because a lot of the times when I think of like, especially like a Mars and Aries energy, that's very, that's very forward. And it's not that Mars and Leo is not forward. It's that it goes about it in a very different way. There's not as much like outward feistiness it's more of that like internal self-righteousness of like knowing what you Better. know is knowing what you know is right and doing that as opposed to trying to perhaps potentially exert that at so vibrantly outwards the way that it often seems to um with mars and aries which mm -hmm. i also love that placement by the way this is no yeah. shade this is just comparison y'all totally yeah. Um, yeah, actually absolutely. speaking of this would be a perfect time to talk about the Aries and Scorpio houses, like specifically mm -hmm. in your chart being the Mars ruled places in your chart. Um, I love that palace and I are both Mars ruled Saturn people. I, I have a special place in my heart for the Saturn and Scorpio generation as a whole. Um, as we have a soft place for the Saturn and Aries generation. Yeah. Like there's just so deep of a kinship when your malefic is ruled by another malefic, like, <laughs> It is deep, y'all. And anybody who has a malefic ruled by a malefic understands, specifically when they're not in domicile, like when they're ruled by the other, it is so visceral of an experience that dealing with things that are displeasurable or uncomfortable just becomes part of who the fuck you are as a person. And it becomes a part of your resilience in a way that is so profound. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Ooh, my fifth and twelfths. 
like, yeah very yeah. much um <laughs> I mean there is there is a piece about it's like which one first god um I feel like Saturn in my 12th is like a weird gift, but of course being overcome by Mars is a tricky, that's the trickiest piece about it, I think, um, from the square and just like, it's like, yeah, okay, Saturn's rejoicing, but also, and like Mars is like cadent and like not in dignity and you, you know, like, um <laughs> but but has like always wins mm -hmm. always you know, wins like Mars yeah. always wins in my chart um and like having so I don't know my my 12th has experiences like it's like okay so a significant amount of solitude has been forced on me over the course of my life from like when I was a child um but I'm also really good at it now. Like I'm, you know, and I wouldn't be able to have my creative practice. I wouldn't be able to um, have my professional practice or have my relationships if I wasn't really like really skilled at being alone. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like, when it comes down to it, I'm like a very sociable person. Like I love being with humans. Like they're my favorites. So, like any true Aquarius placement talking about humans in the uh, I hate them, but person. I love them. Uh, uh, it's like, so, you know, I'd rather be with people. I'd rather be with family. I would rather mm. like be with my friends, but my life circumstances for one reason or another are such that that's kind of rare. Um, and, and that so you also require a lot of solitude to recharge, I would yeah. imagine. That yeah, it's like, I, there are some people who are like, oh my God, I recharge with other people. And then they're like, I actually recharge when I'm by myself and I can just like meditate and process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, other, I think other people think that about me more than I do. Like I, I caught up with an ex from like college, like a couple years ago and, and he laughed and uh, I, for, I forget how it came up, but he was like, you need more alone time than anyone I've ever met. I was like, no, I don't. what? But it's like, it's like I've, I've needed it. I've had it for my entire life that there's very few situations in which like that becomes necessary. <laughs> mm. Right. Um, and then it's often such a relief to be among humans mm. and like, yeah. That that... It, and, and I also, it's like a very Aquarius thing too, in terms of like, um, like when I was, when I was like homeless, I would like spend, I mean, I, I always had shelter. I was always able to crash somewhere, um, or like afford a place to stay for a bit. Um, but I would, you know, you don't, you don't want to stay at the place you're crashing at all day. So you end mm. up like either outside or of course, cause I'm from Canada, it's like winter. So I would always spend time. Like I'd spend my days at live, like public libraries. I'd mm. spend my days at malls, like mall food courts, you know, like it's, and I love that. So these places that like other people maybe go, I mean, not libraries necessarily, but these places that people go to socialize these like common squares for me became the places that I would be able to like go and be alone and be safe, right? You like go to the museums on like the afternoon that it's free, right? And it would be so busy, but it would be like, oh, I'm in the art museum, like not even looking at the art. I'm like sitting in a corner reading a book or like writing an essay, you know? But it's like, there would just be so many people around. And so it's that like, 
So that's Saturn in the 12th, Mars in the ninth, mm. Mercury, right? Which is like this human, like humanity, yeah. um, humaneness of that. And just like, yeah, being mm, sort of being forced to be around people, mm. but like being alone while you're doing it, right? And so there's this, wow. it kind of works both ways um, in that. And then in terms of like, I do just want to, I want to say real quick though, that what you specifically said about how you find that solitude and alone time in places that are so full of people. And then how you also said like almost the inverse of that, you're like getting to be around people that I actually know and love and trust is such a relief and such a release after that seemingly like almost like makes me feel like that like packed in like a sardines container vibe of like it's just you but you're surrounded by all these things that are happening all these conversations and things that are happening but you are yourself this like pillar of like strength that you're just doing your own thing by yourself in the in the center of all of that which is just such a beautiful visual of your saturn well, and this is also, I mean, it relates to the Mars too. And this mm. is one of those things. It's like being weird things people compliment me about, right? Yeah. Which I'm not, I'm not telling people to not compliment me about weird things. Like I do have Leo place. We love that. We love I've that. I've learned to, I've learned to accept compliments. I realized early in life I had to, mm. um, <laughs> but so, but it's always um, like, I've, I've spent a lot of my life traveling alone, right? Like the, the number of times I've like, like I never realized that it was kind of weird to travel alone right like until until I like started doing it more publicly I had to be on Instagram and stuff to for work and people were like how do you like how do you do it you like I went to you know the one or I guess I've yeah like the one time I've been to continental Europe was when I was homeless and managed to get over there and you know live out of a backpack instead of in Canada um and it was like you know, I was, I traveled alone for three months, like through multiple different countries. And, you know, I met up with a couple people in different places, but wherever I was, I just like, you know, I either met people or I didn't, and you know, it was, but it it just never, it was only during that trip that I realized Mm -hmm. that it was like, um, weird potentially to travel alone, especially as like someone who gets coded as a woman. Right. And that being like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it never occurred to me. And that feels like a weird kind of Aquarius experience. Um, mm. And so, but yeah, this like, this like Mars in the ninth square, Saturn in the 12th is like, mm. I literally have traveled alone, like all my life. <laughs> and like, that just feels so, and it's almost, always, it's, it's ninth housey in terms of it always mm. being spiritual or something like, of course, being... it's, it's never just a trip. It's a fucking pilgrimage no. every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sad rising life. Hashtag. Yeah, truly. Like I, it was not a vacation. It was a journey. Excuse you. Like, get in like, line. I spend most of my life there most of my time there like either studying like I went there to study astrology at like the faculty of astrological to with Melanie Reinhardt mm. no less and also with Mark Jones and Wales um and then the rest of the time there it was like it was like I was just you know I was like staying in the cheapest places I could I was buying like the bread and cheese that was on sale at the grocery store and like mm. that's it <laughs> making it happen it's like I I spent like 
more in one week in Wales, like doing this like masterclass than I did for like um, the month, like the next month. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, I forgot to like explicitly say this. Um, So earlier kind of mentioned how, I guess, just based on like essential dignity, you know, the sun exalts in Aries. So the sun has this essential dignity in Mars place, although Mars doesn't have that for the sun. Mars being in the sun's place does seem to have some of that almost accidental dignity. Also specifically with Mars in Leo, making a square to Scorpio, one of the places that they rule, and then making a trine to Aries, the other place that they rule. And so based on this affinity like alone mars has so much power here that it doesn't have in other places that it doesn't have a a a strict traditional essential dignity um that accidental dignity through with the sun and through that um aspecting relationship with the places of domicile gives mars so much extra zest here um that like even if a person with mars and leo doesn't have anything in scorpio or aries they are supported by those houses in their chart regardless which is honestly pretty fucking sick y'all like pretty fucking sick can't relate to that bit to that life but that's pretty sick for y'all and i love that yeah and i mean this is this is another thing about that like my um one of those like weird things people notice about me that Mm -hmm. i'm like not aware of (laughs) like about how um so fifth house i mean i associate a lot of things in my life with that like i'm a very fifth housey person even though Mm -hmm. i don't have any my like um my prenatal Venus retrograde was Mm. in Aries and so Mm. like Gutman's work I have like an Aries star point or whatever Mm. um Mm -hmm. so that so that's part of what I give my like Aries being really potent in my chart but it is also that relationship to the Mars um and having that yeah it guarding my creative time and my artistic Mm. practice and like being kind of um like dogged about it like having and this is this is part of the the Saturn right because of course then Saturn's in aversion to mm-hmm. um to Aries so it's like they have this relationship but it but not like but Saturn they can't, can't see actually each other see, my fifth house is sort of like free from Saturn and it's the place where Saturn <laughs> falls anyway and so it's like I get like the benefits of I get like the benefits of the Saturn in terms Mm. of my like kind of dogged tenacity and like, you know, consistent, like daily creative discipline. Um, Yeah. And, and so I get that without feeling like too oppressed. I was about to say, yeah, without Saturn squeezing you too hard. Yeah. Yeah, 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 It almost, I I do definitely like I, it, it it ends up pretty embodied and that's like Mm. something we'll get into too, but there is my fifth house is like a um yeah it's a pretty not safe well yeah I mean it's a pretty safe place for me in lots of ways other than like it's protected yeah 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 yeah. even though Saturn can't see it you know Saturn then being overcome by Mars and then Mars ruling both of those places it feels very protected and even though that's a weird thing people have like noticed about you it doesn't surprise me because it is so even without conscious or like intentionally, it is something that is so obvious about you and about your, yourself and your work. Totally. Um, yeah, yeah. There's another thing that, um, 
I mean, I'm married now, but like, I... I'm yeah. married now, bitches. <laughs> you hear that? I'm off the fucking market. We've, we've been knowing that, but <laughs> the way you just said, she's like, I'm married now. But I have like a... We love Rain. We love you, Rain. Oh yeah, Rain. Oh my God. Love Rain. (laughs) But like my history, like my romantic history is like Diana Rose Harper, also one of the nearest and dearest to my heart. Jokes that like my my life is just like basically a series of like indie film vignettes. (laughs) Because it's like the, I mean, even the stories of like how I met Rain, but so much of it comes with like really kind of stupid risks risk taking like a lot like oh, the wow. number of times I've like traveled to meet someone I've never met before and ended up like falling in love is it's, wow. it's a number of times in my life like yes. a number of times and so it's just very it, it's very Mars and Leo. I was about to say that's so ruling. It's it's very because of course when you feel the urge like that impulse you can't not do it. You can't ignore the urge. That I feel is a big Mars lesson, right? And I feel like that's a very big Mars lesson that I love that people eventually all have to come to terms with in their own life is not being able to resist the urge, whatever that urge is, whatever the Mars urge that is calling them to do the thing is doing you Mm -hmm. inevitably, you can't say no saying no will only give you a fight for longer and longer and longer. And then you're just going to get more fucking tired because Mars is going to be like, how long are you going to fucking fight? And then you just have to say, okay, let's go. Let's do the thing. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I love that. My Mars has a, which one is it? Um, I had a, I had a fixed star reading with Amaya Rourke years ago, like oh. when we first met. Um, <laughs> and she talked about my Mars and its parents as like, there's just a lot of it has to do with instinct and like following mm. my instinct. And also, I mean, I have other parents in my chart that just make me like, very lucky so it's like a good thing that the risk (laughs) it doesn't always turn out best sometimes it turns out absolutely terribly um but ever but like most of the time (laughs) turns out a lot better than one would think on average um satirizing life but I was I was about to say satirizing life it'll all work out but yeah but that like Mars and that like Mars and Leo instinct and following that and trusting Mm. that which is such a solar thing right like trusting in spirit and like my lot of spirit being up there too and leo Mm -hmm. also relates to this right um and just like being able to actually and also i think amaya's not gonna do fixed star readings for long and no that's correct yeah i don't know when she's closing that but if anyone wants a fixed star reading i don't she she might have closed them already Really? Oh, she no. might have closed okay. them already. Yeah, I'm on her oh, mailing she, list because I got a, anyway. Yeah, everybody, if you're interested in getting a fixed starting from Amaya, run, do not walk, like actually yeah. sprint, <laughs> like like actually sprint. Um, yeah, because I had one with her, I think back in like 2019 or 2020. Um, and it fucked me in the good way. Um so good. yeah. So so there's say. this this way I like that following that those urges or that instinct and mm-hmm. this like, oh yeah. So the asteroid arrows. Mm. is I think I believe that that is actually the only thing that I have in Leo funny enough is really? the asteroid so mine's, in, mine's in Leo it's partile really really yeah. I, ch- I have to check what degree mine is at now because I don't oh. remember that off the top yeah yeah 
Yeah, there's definitely oh, something. Like, being hot my arrow. Oh wow, my arrows is actually very close to your Mars. Oh my god, I love Wait, it. they're actually very close. <laughs> that that's that tracks. Yeah, but that's the only thing that I have in Leo. And funny enough, um, I'm comfortable sharing this because I don't care. Um, uh, but I have had many a partner with many a Leo placements. <laughs> um many Leo placements and also Aries as well just having fifth house Aries placements because I also relate to having a very wild romantic history (laughs) very much relate to that bless us bless us Mars Saturn things quite frankly yeah but I do but I do especially the Mars Saturn relationship like the malefic relationship and then also the Mars Sun relationship in that seemingly like bridging the sect in a yes. way that totally. um Mars doesn't quite do the same in other um I guess diurnal mm-hmm. signs because they are not diurnal signs that are the diurnal sign ruled by the sun mm-hmm. um that Mars and Leo has this at the same time diurnal and nocturnal quality that really brings out a bridging of like how you have to think about things based on how they feel in your body totally mm. yeah that instinct piece just feels so, mm. so potent with Mars and Leo for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, learning to, learning to trust that I think is like mm. such a huge, such a huge Leo question period, but, mm. um, but Mars and Leo makes it very like anxious and mm. Mm, like immediate. And yeah, that kind of, mm refusal Mm. refusal to be refused like refusal of being refused Mm. feels very like mars and leo too there's like um the indignation is like a very i mean my saturn tempers a lot of this like more uh excessive mars and leo Um, Mm. even though mars wins eventually there is kind of that saturn sort of is like dragging that mars down a little Mm. bit for better and worse like that square, malefic square is a mm, malefic squares are hard. Whole thing. It's a whole thing. Um, I don't. I don't know if you want to talk about your moon at all. Um, mm, oh yeah, yeah. But that's a yeah, little. That's a that's a beautiful little softening bit that I think is. Yeah, sort of. I think it would be, but and I mean this leads into the embodiment piece. It's mm. like because that's I I think I for being cadent. Um, I definitely feel my Mars more physically and acutely because it is trying my moon in the first house. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's definitely like, like inflammation, pain stuff. Like my moon is pretty happy. Like it's fine, you know? Um, but it, it's like, it's in Sag, it's out of bounds. It's a first quarter, although it's first quarter by sign. It's more trying by it's degree. It's literally vibing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very alive. It's very alive. <laughs> um, but with that Mars trying, it's like, yeah, that energy gets pretty directly, um, I don't know what the right word is. It's like, very focused gets very focused mm. um into into my physical body and just like how I really like I deal with a like significant level of chronic pain um and it's like that that eases with like water stuff and whatever but yeah my my first house is definitely 
that trine from Mars um, gives gives a pain factor that otherwise I don't think would be that present. Um, my moon's separating from Mars and it's still there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, but there is too about like my moon has a lot of, it already has a lot of energy and then it has even more energy with the Mars the Saturn sort of dragging down that Mars, I think works in its favor because then it's an aversion to my moon, which is supportive. Um, but having that, I think my puppy's snoring. She's been so good. Yeah. So it, good. This one just came up. Yeah. If you're watching the video version, you're seeing my baby because she officially decided it had been too long since she had been touched, which usually does happen when I record. Um, anybody who's yeah. Anybody who's seen the pod knows <laughs> knows that I have Mercury Mars conjunct in the sixth, and that this is a thing with my best. Oh, <laughs> mm. But yeah, yeah. But the the Saturn Mars square definitely, and anyone with that aspect will know, like it's it's tension, and it's like the worst kind of tension. <laughs> like, yeah. So, and that does end up being like, um, yeah embodied on a significant level and like if I'm not if I'm not moving like moving is literally the most important thing for that Mm. moon and for managing that Mars trine um and it's like if I'm not moving like there is more pain right Mm. like movement is the only thing that lessens the pain and there is a so I'm always and this is another one of the Mars in Leo things, I think is that, and you understand this, it's like, I'm always training for something. Like I'm, you know, I don't end up performing ever anymore, even though I did that a lot as a kid. Um, but I'm, I'm like always doing something. So right now I like with Saturn, Saturn's ingress into Pisces, I started like lap swimming. And so it's Mm. like, you know, my, my third time going to the pool, the like director of the complex. And this is like, so fucking this was on the ingress of Saturn in Pisces um and it's like the the director of the thing asked me or said that I would be welcome to join their like master swimmer club which I guess is just like a national thing that people do but I was like master swimmer and I was like Saturn in Pisces I was like, about to I was say just... but that but that's kind of the thing there is this like physicality there's this like mm-hmm. undeniable physicality to the placement. And it's like, you wouldn't necessarily think that this, you know, Virgo sun would be in like cadent ruler Jupiter and stuff. Like it's not, um, it doesn't really give like athlete or like performer necessarily, but with mm-hmm. that Mars Mercury, it's like, if I'm not training my body for something, I'm losing it a little bit. Like there's just so much extra energy. You know, I had like a, um, when my, I had like a date before my Saturn return started, but it really intensified during my Saturn return. I had like a daily Ashtanga yoga practice for seven mm. years. And it's like, mostly it was by myself. Like I would drop into a studio every once in a while if I needed like some kind of correction that, cause I couldn't get something. But yeah. for the most part, it was just me alone on my mat, wherever I was like moving around. Um, and that was like, ah, that was a, that was a huge piece of it. And then I like for a couple years, was like did like did pole training when I was in Montreal for a while and that was amazing and then so and then what then what was I doing 
I guess when I was out in BC, I was still doing like, I was doing different kinds of yoga, but then I was also, um, I was like trail running and like teaching myself how to like trail run. And it's like, that is such a sad thing though. Um, <laughs> truly it is like trail running is such a sad thing I've realized. And mm-hmm. I love that. I am not a trail runner. Um, I do other things that are related, but that's not my sad thing, but yeah. <laughs> hip thrusts are my sad thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. honestly, um, but that's so wild. There's been so many things. I didn't actually realize that you had done like so many different movement practices because oh, yeah. didn't you dance as well? Yeah. Well, I was yeah. a ballet kid yeah. too. So I was like, I was put in ballet when I was four um, and then did it until I was like 15 about. Oh, this um, is an appropriate time to plug. I need to get better at oh, doing yeah. this. If you're listening to this, I have already released the ballet and astrology episode with Joe O'Neill. So go listen to that if you haven't, um, cause it's amazing. And I love her so much. Um, and we dive so deep on ballet. It was wild. Um, and it was I'm so much so fun to listen to that. Um, yeah, but that is already going to be released by the time this one is. So go and listen to that if you haven't. Um, but yeah, so many different movement things. Wow. I love that. Your Mars is really like, I got to get it out gotta yeah, get it totally. out in any way possible in yeah. any way possible whatever is accessible like when I was I was back um a very long story but I ended up back in my hometown in like 2017 to take care of to take care of my parents dying dog it was like mm. a whole <laughs> Saturn in the 12th mm-hmm. I was about to say there. yep um but it was like, I couldn't, there was no, there was no trails to run on in like my hometown. And so, but there was a, um, a flamenco class being taught Hot. by this like really b- beautiful, amazing older woman mm-hmm. at like the dance studio that I used to do ballet at when I was a kid. Yeah. And so it, it, they, so had, they had moved. So it wasn't the same actual physical studio, but it was like the same, the same studio. People. And yeah. And so it was like, you know, so I just kind of do whatever is like accessible to me. Um, and so, yeah, it was, you know, in Vancouver Island, it was trail running in my hometown mm. for three months. It was flamenco. It's like here, I'm like doing lap swimming at the pool across the road it's kind of like there's a and that's the Jupiter in the third for sure stuff yeah um I was kind of thinking that like the Mars Jupiter like opposition like you're able to find the activity that you need any in any community that you find yourself in like yeah like the only reason I started I started pole dancing because it was like a um they had classes, a lot of the dance studios in Montreal are francophone only. And so mm. it was like one that, that had bilingual classes and it was, I could get there. Um, I could get there within 15 minutes on the Metro mm, from nice. my apartment. And then I trained there for like quite a while. And so, and I, it was when I was still moving around. So suddenly my, like my ability to live in different places of the city got very small because I knew I had to be within a certain Close to that. amount of time from this studio. Um, but yeah, it's very like, that's, that's how I found it because it was like in proximity to where I was. And, and then, and then it was awesome. And I got obsessed because that's, that's what it. happens. With that is, that is Paul. a very lit. Well, that is a very literal thing of that Jupiter Mars is like being able to find yeah. whatever it is and it being close and having that, like literally having an abundant resource of it. 
yeah, which is amazing. Totally. Cause then you have such, then you have any outlet that you need for your Mars to take in whatever place you find yourself in along mm-hmm. all of your many travels in different places you've lived. So that's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That functions in a few like fifth house ways, I would say. Oh, for sure. Historically. I, well, especially having, you know, Mars in the ninth, you know, ruling and aspecting the fifth, it, that would suggest that whatever physical activity you are doing has to also be a creative practice in itself. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Because not all movement is created equally. Got it. I struggle even saying that because I love all movement quite literally. There's not, I haven't found a single one that I dislike, which is honestly kind of fucking sick. Um, I've looked, I've looked for things I don't like. I really can't find any. Um, I can, I can kind of like it. It's weird. Um, oh, I but... went for a climbing phase too, actually. One time I was living in downtown Toronto oh, and yes. like the only thing within, and I was living with a partner who had been climbing before. And so we ended up going to a gym for like, a I year. remember we <laughs> talked about this at Norwalk briefly. Yes. That's amazing. You're like, I've done everything actually. Uh, but that's, but that is really like a ninth, fifth, like Mars ruling and aspecting yeah. thing is like, there are movements that are not inherently creative practices, you know, As, even if you're like, if you're a runner, hypothetically, there can be like a very creative form of running, like trail running and things like that. But there are a lot of people that are just like, I run in the city because that's how I get my exercise. And that is yeah. what it is. It's, it's a means to an end. And I have full respect for that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just different. It is yeah. just a different approach to it. A treadmill. Right. Unless right. I'm just, unless it's on like the uphill setting. <laughs> and I can, unless it's a challenge, for a bit, unless it's yeah. really hard, I can pretend <laughs> like I'm on a mountain. It either has to be creative or it has to be really hard. Oh, wow. So that's the Mars square Saturn. Again. I was about to say <laughs> it has to be amazingly joyful or it has to suck so bad that I can't yeah. think about anything else and it consumes me. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm in like so much pain the next day, but like the good pain, the good pain. Yeah. That is one thing I will say about Mars writ large, um, that I will probably say a disgusting amount of times, which is you have to find a healthy physical outlet where especially that sort of feeling like a good soreness doing something that can make you feel tired, make you feel like you worked hard, but you enjoyed what you did so much. And you enjoyed knowing that you grow while you do it, that the soreness, that the aftermath is literally like this sick, twisted fucking pleasure that you're like, oh my God, it hurts so good. Like, I think every person deserves to feel that Mars glory. (laughs) Like it's so real. Yeah. Right now I just had a, um, in the house we're living in right now, I, we decided to stay another year. And so the property manager built me a garden. So I have a four by eight raised garden now that just got put in last week. And so like, they gave me a bunch of soil, which just from like the land, um, which is great. Just like the mulchy, mulchy soil. And then, so I just had to put like topsoil and add topsoil and compost to it. And so it was like, and I gardened with my mother all the time when I was a kid. Um, and I've like grown stuff myself, but I haven't had like an actual fucking garden as an adult. Mm. And so it's, it's like a big fucking deal. Um, and like ancestrally too, it's just like such a, you know, if there was, you know, if I have like inherited professions, right. It's, it's basically like storyteller, um, 
well baker too but we're not we're, we're not doing that i'm not like i'm not that kind of marzy whatever i am um, we we all know i am <laughs> and teacher and like gardener farmer right mm. that's like my people have always been yeah. have always been growing their own food that's just like and my mother too like that's that's an unbroken thing mm. for how however long ago um and so to be able to do that is like just it's ancestrally so calming and meaningful and so to mm. to have this garden now and so I was like carrying you know you're, you have to carry these like giant bags of compost and dirt and I was just like it was I, so the other afternoon I got to spend like a couple hours literally carrying around giant bags of dirt and I was just like oh mm. this is like one of those things my body is like created for like it was one of those Absolutely. things it was just like it was so easy and I knew exactly what to do and I like had the shovel you know and had my fucking trowel and the little rake thing and I was like mixing the soil and mm. I was like I just know how to do this you know and like the next day I wasn't that sore because it wasn't I wasn't carrying that much but I was like just sore enough that I was like fuck if I was doing this on like like a larger scale, it would, I'd have that feeling, you know, I'd mm. have that feeling that was like, oh, this is like, right. And that like, oh. that, that like good, that like achy pain where you mm. know that, um, yeah, where it just, it just feels right. It's like, mm. and so a, there's a certain amount of that, that I definitely have to have when I'm, um, training too. And like swimming is definitely giving some of that, but when it comes to the chlorine and stuff, I don't know how long it'll last. Cause I'm part of the only reason I, I mean, I moved away from Montreal, but another reason why I stopped doing so much pull is that I was like getting to the point where I had to moisturize less. That I was part. Like, I was like, I can't do this. That part. So Actually, this is might get to me. My, uh, yeah. The long-term effects of like yeah. the chemicals for sure. Actually, what you said about um, gardening reminded me, I just saw, it was actually just a couple days ago, um, there was a Mars lecture, I don't want to mispronounce her name, I believe it's Sabrina Moncini, she's Italian, she did a Mars lecture through Astromagia, Astromagia, Um, and it was on Mars, and it was brought up in the chat, um, like pruning and agriculture as like Mars remediation, like Mars work. and I like messaged them and I was like, oh my God, for me, that's huge. Cause I have a lot of plants. Um, like I live in Florida, it's a very tropical place. I have also just planted a lot in my yard that requires pruning. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, very healing Mars experience to be like, I am chopping you off cause you are dead and you're going to grow more. And I'm going to use like my sharpest, nicest pruners mm-hmm. to make a nice clean cut. And then you have, it's so satisfying and it's so, it's so, it is such a good form of remediation for people that potentially have a sticky Mars relationship is like, get a plant that you have to prune. Like healthy pruning is such a good way to like do Mars energy. And you were also talking about, um, gardening with your mom. Um, one of the things I like asking is if people, or as if you have like um, any humans or like events with Mars and Leo that you are like inspired by or wish to share any information about. Um, and you and I both have moms that have Mars and Leo that might be worth oh. mentioning. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. Fierce, fierce protector streak. Fierce like- protector. And then also I, for me specifically, like 
fierce protection of authenticity. I remember as a child, although my mom and I had a very interesting relationship, my Mars and I got much close. My mom and I got very close whenever I got a little bit older. I was much closer with my dad when I was younger, which makes sense because my dad has like the ooey gooey Mars and cancer, like made me feel safe as a kid because my Mars is in Taurus, you know? So like my dad, of course, the nice Mars sextile, like, oh, I feel so safe around you. But then as I became a teenager and like came into my own and was like, puberty, hormones, society, high school, college, like needing my mom and needing her Mars and Leo, like square to my Mars fire to be like, no, you go be yourself. You do what you are going to do. Be unapologetic about it in a way that I felt like my mom cultivated that within me in a way that I didn't realize that I needed until I got to adulthood. And I was like, oh my God, she is the, the audacity of that woman that she inspired within me. Like even to this day, cause my mom and I are still very close. We work together. We are best friends that are moms that are coworkers. It's a very, very difficult multi-layered relationship. But at the same time, it is such a passionate and vibrant and loud relationship that I see her Mars come through in ways that inspired me and then gave me a literal permission slip to be more confident in who I am as a person. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That like protective, protective of creative life definitely in part comes from my mom. Um, I mean, both my, both my parents really like cultivated that in me. Um, My dad more on the sort of like specific skills. Like, but then yeah, my mom in terms of like time and space for sure. Mm -hmm. She like, she reads like a book a day. It's like uh, this woman, I don't know. She's, she's the most well-read person I've ever met in my life. She's read like every book in our hometown library, you know, <laughs> like but, but has very specific taste also. So like, you know, not every book, but most books, even stuff that like, I would never think she would read. Um, that's so cool. And that's like, you know, there's always like a certain number of pages a day or a certain number of hours a day that like you don't you don't fuck with her when she's like reading that book <laughs> like, mm. which was sort of weird as a kid every once in a while but I loved reading too and she taught me to love reading so it was like we would just read together all the oh, time wow. um, but also like tons of art tons of crafts like my home was a workshop um mm. Yeah. for better or worse and mm, it's, for better you know, it still or worse. is in many ways and all the like magical workshops like all altars and art that does get passed down now. that definitely does yeah, get passed down really. um especially with Mars and Leo that like that need for creative space I yeah. feel like it's oh, very yeah. real because I remember that being something that my mom had like because my mom and dad each had like their own office growing up and it was kind of like a you don't fuck with each other's space thing like both yeah. of them were like I don't fuck with your office you don't fuck with my office and then to me it's like don't fuck with either of our office and yeah. <laughs> I know that my mom like specifically hers was like obviously she would get stuff done but it was this creative space where she would make stuff mm. um and that my mom has always been like that making stuff um yeah. and passing that on to me and then incorporating me in that. And it's like, all right, come in here and help me make this thing. Like, what would you put in this? How would you do it? You know, um, from a very young age, being involved in that creative process and knowing that you have to protect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was looking through, I hadn't done this before, but I briefly looked through AstroSeq and Astro Data Bank before, yeah. before we were talking and like, 
there's like so many people I actually love who have Mars and Leo. And it was like, Ooh, I, think I just like, yeah. I don't work with celebrity charts. Like I work yeah. with my clients charts, you know, and that's mm. it. So some of this is very funny, but it was like, some of them are very good and like specific to me too. But yeah. It's like one of the first ones that popped out to me was Cher, who is mm-hmm. Mars and Leo. Yeah. And she's on my like, list. It was like my mom's, you know, Moonstruck is like my mom's favorite movie. And it was like, she's just always wearing like fur and gold. And I'm just like, Mm. that's so, that's so fucking Yeah, Cher was a, Cher was a big one I wanted to mention because my My mom also has always loved Cher. Um, (laughs) And so I, and so like, I knew like when you said your mom had Mars and Leo, I wanted to bring it up regardless because my mom does, but my mom has literally loved Cher forever. Um. Like it's a newer movie, but um, the movie burlesque, like the role oh, that yes. Cher has, Holy. like the like total boss bitch role, like runs everything. I remember seeing that movie with my mom and my mom being like, this is Cher's role. This oh is God, it. It's so true. And I was like, Mom, like it was so funny and especially like looking at the astro of it all I'm like of course you love her in that role because she is being Mars and Leo she is protecting Ooh. the creation of this art space like it was so perfect mm-hmm. yeah oh my god yeah that was one and then there was a couple um like writers so Leonard Cohen has Mars and Leo and I knew that one mm-hmm. and it's like one of my like I, I was a performance poet for a while and so like I have a bunch of shit memorized but it was years ago so most of it's just kind of foggy but like the one or like one piece that stuck from that time which was like a very Leo time for me is um um no one calls the crickets vain in their time in their time no one will call you idle for dying with the sun I'm like that's so fucking damn yeah damn yeah Wow, for dying with the sun. No Fuck. one will call you idol for dying with the sun. I'm obsessed. So, oh so there's that. So there's that. That one. is. That's a so, good so if any, Leo. if any, I was gonna say, if anyone was looking for like the Mars and Leo quote, that's the one. Isn't it beautiful? Oh my God. Um, wow. And then William Blake. I didn't, mm. I've looked at William Blake's chart before because our sinistry is like pretty good. Mm. Um, but I, but I, hadn't remembered it until I saw this and I was just like like he literally like one of his most famous poems like he's always on about like the divine fire <laughs> you know that's like literally mm. all he writes about um but like that he literally has like the tiger tiger poem which is like one of his oh, most yeah. well-known popular poems which is also about the divine fire I was about <laughs> he's to always say talking about like eros and the spark and the muses and like you know wow. madness and that is just like all so relatable. So he's mm-hmm. been like very important in my life. And the same with Cohen. Um, they've both been very important. And then the last one I found was um, Roland Barthes, who's like, oh. so he wrote the, so this is actually related to the stuff about the book too, is like, and like authenticity and like all of this and this like square from my Saturn um, mm-hmm. because he wrote the essay, The Death of the Author. And it's like incredibly important. So my master's degree is in a program. It's technically an English program, um, mm. like media studies, cultural theory called public texts. And it's like literally about the creation and reception of texts. And that's why it relates to astrology. And because it's like, I studied how to look at old manuscripts and what like ideas about ideas about reception and 
who makes books and how, right? And so Bart wrote this essay and was part of this like post-structuralist movement that was like, well, movement, I mean, that's very vague, but Mm -hmm. um, that my education was really based on in terms of like the, it it disconnected um, the author's work from their life basically mm-hmm. they're like the author's work from their biography um and so it was like there is no it an author can have an intended meaning but it doesn't actually exist like that's not actually mm-hmm. like the reality of a text like the author upon um writing something becomes kind of one with the like performative act of the writing and like that's kind of all there is and mm-hmm. then there's like how the text is received by an audience and like that's mm-hmm. when that kind of like meaning gets created it's that's not when the meaning so it's making like is. yeah and so this like death of the author is like we can't we can't control or manipulate how people receive our art right mm-hmm. how people receive our writing like that's just not not our shit and so that Saturn return I went through was part of that right it's like we can't control people's perceptions of us or receptions of us um and our work there's just like and so this this coming to of like being a sort of polarizing figure and like understanding Mm. that and coming from a place where like I'm writing this book there's an ant on my microphone that's so funny what a jerk we're putting you outside after buddy you do not belong up here he had to get all the way up here anyway um but yeah, it's, it's not a, um, I'm sort of writing this book in this kind of context where I understand like where people have already bought it. Right. It's like the, (laughs) so the, the reception of the book exists on kind of like a different level than it might, um, if someone like writes a book and, or not writes a book because the book was already written, but it just, you know, had to be created in a different Mm. way and finalized like it expanded the books expanded after it got funded Um, of course and so to have like yeah Mars and Leo and so he has Mars and Leo and he's a sad Mm. rising and so of course this like um Mars Mars and ninth and it's like death of the author I'm like are you fucking kidding me of course (laughs) so that was that was the other one that really stuck out to me there's one in particular that I want to bring up that's actually super relevant to transition to it because you're speaking about like reception in writing and in text. And it makes me think of how the different arts are received and how the meaning is made from them. Um, my other, besides share, my other major Mars and Leo example is Christopher Nolan who is a director um and i personally know a lot about christopher nolan because my partner loves their movies um my partner (laughs) i had a partner who loved his movies at one point yeah yeah yeah, my partner has a couple leo placements too so it totally tracks um but christopher nolan has mars and leo like conjunct the sun like super conjunct Mm. um like a degree conjunct and i think that this is a timed chart i believe Maybe I'm not going to quote, I'm not going to quote houses because I'm not sure if this time is accurate or not. Uh, But regardless, they have Mars in Leo conjunct the sun. And for people who don't know, I'll just read a couple of things that uh, Christopher Nolan has worked on, which is Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar, Tenant, um, and another movie that's about to be released. I think like this summer is Oppenheimer um, that people are looking forward to. And like 
major movies that have done massive like visualization, massive, um, I think transformative power in how people are entertained and are viewed. I know personally, one of the reasons my partner loves their movies so much is the way that they are able to use visuals and music and all of those components of theatrics to really take you to a place and really make you feel something based on everything that's going on. And that ability to kind of how we were talking about the bill at the beginning, the ability to be vulnerable and show a lot. And that being, that being the show and that also like kind of not just protecting, but kind of not and neither not glossing over either but having this very interwoven relationship with what's shown and not shown and how in a visual art that really makes your mind so creative and makes you go to a different place because what you're seeing versus what you're not seeing on screen and the way that that's making you feel is then doing this very complex thing with yourself emotionally um Mm -hmm. that I think Mm -hmm. he has such an art for that is really so obvious in his like Mars and Leo conjunct the sun. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Well, and just like the scale too, right? It's like that's one thing about Nolan and like the scale of um just like how many people watch his movies is just Oh my crazy. god. Like he's stupid famous. And I th- I think that that's something that a lot of people Um, he is definitely a director that people know, but a lot of the times those roles like director or producer aren't as, I guess, widely talked about, you know, it's often the celebrities and the stars and the actors themselves who get a lot of that critical acclaim and stuff. And they get a lot of the hype. Um, but him being a director, filmmaker, somebody who has really curated these visions, um, has gotten the rightful credit that he deserves for being, a curator in those ways of experiences and really like the Mars of it being willing to take a person there and go for the drama and really give you that experience. Um, which is a, is a very beautiful way of, um, exhibiting showmanship that Mm. I really love. Mm. Mm -hmm. Is there, do you have anything you wish to share? You kind of have, um, but is there anything else that you like wish to share about your experience with Mars in your body? Any like words of wisdom you have for other people with Mars and Leo? Words of wisdom you have for people who potentially love someone with Mars and Leo? Any of those things? Mm. This ant is crawling all over my computer. It's so funny. You're like it's speaking like, of my a, body. My body is aware of this ant. Too. It's so Ooh, funny. It's big like on daddy. my screen now. I'm like, you're scouting. There's nothing here <laughs> for you, friend. The offerings are in the other house. Yeah. Um, I think. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> like, hey, Mercury. Um, hey, Mercury. Uh, anything else? I mean, I think Mar, like, and this, of course, also depends on the condition and place of the sun, but I think like Mars and Leo, um, there is a way that the like anxiety or aggression can be turned towards oneself um, in a really, can be like really harsh way. And so like some of the protective stuff helps with that, that like managing um, is like embodying the authenticity and, and not just like minimizing oneself, which 
I mean, when it's Mars and, you know, especially in a, a day chart, I think it can be like people wanting you to be smaller mm. and that being a really tricky thing to navigate, especially if you're public um, in any way. And that like, that be kind of comes to the forefront, right? And like that own bat, like that battle within, um, battle within yourself and kind of with your son. And so that becomes, that becomes, cause it's also just like painful. It's not just that like that battle is uncomfortable or um, disappointing or anxiety inducing. It's also like, it's like literal pain. Literal Mars pain. <laughs> so yeah. So just like, I guess the patience component is always relevant with Mars. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's probably kind of the main thing. Mm. Mm. I love that. Mm. Well, to wrap up, let's promo, baby. What are you working on right now? You kind of said at the beginning, but go ahead and remind the people what you're working on right now, what you offer, where people can find out more about you, Palace, all of the glorious things about you. Because obviously, now that you've heard all about Palace's amazing Mars and Leo, you're like, I want to work with Palace in astrology, <laughs> obviously. Duh. So let the people know. So I'm finally, I am, even though the book ha isn't in everybody's hand, isn't in my hands yet. Um, I got my green card. So I'm back to work. Hey! Yeah. And so I'm doing, I wasn't planning on doing public sessions anytime soon, but Vesper, my sweet pup um, that we just adopted a couple months ago, got um, diagnosed as positive for heartworm disease. Again, she had it last year when she was just like a puppy, a rescue puppy stray. And so now she has to go through it again because of either a lingering infection or um, a reinfection while she was still in the South before she got up here to, and then found us. So I'm doing a round of um, Venus retrograde in Leo readings special sessions and by the time this is released they might be sold out but maybe mm. not because they're they're short so they're today's Wednesday and then Thursday they're going to be released and then they start Sunday until Wednesday mm. um but there might still be some left and mm. so if so, you're listening to this on Saturday when it releases again run yes. do not walk sprint yes. to book with palace if yeah. you would so, like a spot so they will probably be on, on socials at that point, if there's any left. So I'm nine of wands, nine dot of dot wands on Instagram. Um, so that's me there. And that's the place nine of wands.com is my website. And there you can find the mailing list, which is who actually my patrons get the, whenever I have sessions available, my patrons get them first. And then my mailing list gets them and they rarely get to social media. Um, so there's that. And then what else, what else am I doing? Those sessions are tied into like more work I'm doing on the Venus cycle and specifically mm. this Venus retrograde in Leo. My, the first Venus cycle I ever fully tracked with devotional work specifically was in 2015 with the Venus retrograde in Leo, um, it really sort of like started then and then like became really serious in the next, like by the next uh, Kazimi that happened, the direct one. And so that, um, yeah, so I'm sort of like taking this mm -hmm. time to kind of celebrate that and 
so I'll be making another workbook like I did for the Venus retrograde in Capricorn. Oh, and which, yes. Yeah. So patrons are getting like little preview glimpses um, of that work now over the next couple months. And then that will, the workbook will come out at some point. So uh, Instagram's the best way to find out that. Um, my profile is still active on Twitter at nine of wands, just one word. Um, and right now it's up as an archive, whether or not I return, I was thinking of maybe returning for Norwalk, uh, because I'm not going to Norwalk. Yeah. We're sad. We're sad about that. Everyone is sad about that. Everyone, if people want to see me at Norwalk, they can write in their survey afterwards that you want to see me at Norwalk. To be fair, I put that in my survey last year after you spoke and fucking killed it. And that's on Norwalk's fault for not listening to me not it's, listening it's to in, me alone it's incredibly rare incredibly rare that they ask someone someone new to speak two years in a row right. just to be clear it's like from an organizational standpoint it's very normal which I know. understand I'm not like a butthurt with Norwalk I'm just letting the world know that we all have balance oh, and would like them you. back um yeah, because you really you really did amazing fun. your first talk be- it was so it was so good Oh, thank you. Um, which do you have that? It available? was a bit polarizing. Really? Wow. Yeah, I know. Which, LOL. I know. Good for my Mars and Leo. <laughs> well, that's on point. Do you have that available on your website? You should plug that if you do. Well, I don't right now, but one of the things that with Vesper's illness mm. has been postponed a bit is I'm starting a membership for consulting astrologers called Spiral. Mm. Um, and so there's a wait list for that. And so you can get on the wait list by going to nineofwands.com slash mailing list. And there's a little option to get on the spiral wait list. Mm. So that will happen. And that's in part based around what I share in the finding mm. the thread talk, um, because it is a specifically a talk for people working in consultation, mm. um, or even just doing readings for other people, basically but it's thinking about it's it's like offering different ways to think about using planetary cycles in the consultation and so I was like this is it's pretty heady um and unless you already have a grounding in astrology and mm-hmm. it, it's like a weird talk um so okay I was like I it's don't want a good just, talk palace thank you I don't want to but I didn't want to just put it out in the world um for anybody well, kind of without some sort yeah. of context for it, for people to actually put the work into practice in their practices. Yeah. Right. And so it's going to be no like context. A, yeah. Sort of like a um, more of kind of like a coaching container style membership that will be doing that and will be working with um, like a living cycles approach more generally and kind of like going through it ourselves. And so there'll be, you know, the astronomy, the astrology, all this stuff, Mm. but kind of worked through live as things, um, as things are changing. So, yeah. And we're in a whole new with Pluto, Pluto and Aquarius and Saturn and Pisces. Um, so that'll be coming. I would anticipate with Vesper's treatment being so intensive and going to be taking up most of the summer. I think spiral will probably be August, September. Maybe I think it's probably something we start when we head into the winter. And so mm. we're like doing, spending the winter doing that together. Um, so that talk will be part of that whole thing. Mm, and Idola, Stellarum, we're having- Oh yeah, s- pl- plug the magic, baby. 
We're having our second um, Astro Magical Talismanic Jewelry collection release, and that'll be Solstice, so in June. And um, it's really beautiful. We're calling it the Summit Collection. And mm. it's not, we're, we're not saying what's included in it yet. Um, get on the mailing list. So it's Adola Stellarum, I-D-O-L-A, Stellar, um, And there you can get on the mailing list. Um, we're also on Instagram and we do like fortnightly lives AMAs on Friday evenings, which are really, really cute. So it's me and Rain and just like, it's basically sitting in on our dinner table conversations, <laughs> like magic and, and astrology. And they're so cute. And they're so cute, y'all. Pretty cute. <laughs> they're so cute. Palace Rain Rain's is so also cute. Satirizing, so. I know it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> they're wonderful people. <laughs> um and yeah yeah I think that's it talisman and the first collection sold out like really fast it didn't even yeah. get to social media if you so. were lucky enough to Aww. get a talisman from the sanctuary collection you're blessed and definitely get on their mailing list if you think you might want something from summit even though they haven't mm-hmm. said what that's in it yet you probably want something yeah and will so. be and will also the uh, yeah right the other thing about adolis alarm too is that um early access we don't have a way for people to get early access right now but we are coming up with one Mm. so yeah it was like almost like 75 percent of the collection was like the early access list got it in the last Mm -hmm. time and we don't yet have an early access list for this one but of course our mailing list is also bigger so Mm -hmm. I, i don't know it I don't necessarily like scarcity, like tell, but it's just, it is realistic. Um, it is realistic with, illness, and it, it is, is also like realistic smaller... with talismans in general. Like you can't, really? unless you are working like a massive operation, just logistically, you cannot make a lot of them. Yeah. It and is... we're really strict with our standards and your of windows like, of time and stuff yeah really strict with them and so we don't we don't fuck around with like being outside of like the specific elections that we decide on mm-hmm. like in terms of yeah we're we're very we tend to be quite conservative in our magic um and very like exacting about the ingredients we use and um the elections we use and there's always um because time is what it is and there's no perfect election in every every talisman we release comes with a uh, thorough discussion of the election in very thorough yeah. very <laughs> thorough bless Ray um, <laughs> including including a discussion of um the weakness of what we perceive as the weaknesses of the election right and we're just we're very clear about our materials and the process and I don't know it's it's we're building we're trying to build a place where people can be um can enter can enter into astrological magic with less just like worries about perfectionism and mm-hmm. blowing themselves up and building some like trust in themselves and also trust in their magicians and I was gonna say trust in who they trust yeah yeah exactly and just yeah just like kind of modeling what we think is um like ideal for our own practice and for mm-hmm. like a dual stellarum as a as an entity and it means we also don't 
make that many like elections. Right. And so this, because of Vesper's illness, we're making, and just like the intensity of our time and attention for that is it it is a smaller collection. Um, it's smaller than the last one. So we will have bigger collections in the future when there's just like more space for us to play around. Mm -hmm. Um, there are many, there are many talismans in our house that are (laughs) in, in safe storage. They are resting, resting. um, waiting to be, we also like, we take a, uh, six months or more beta testing period where either rain or I, or both, um, bind to a talisman to test it out and get to know the spirits, um, before we ever offer them to the public. So that's also something. So in like, in this, in our collections, we'll be having things from, um, mostly 2022. Um, we have some like late 2021, I think still, but you're always going to be kind of like looking back to see like Mm. what that time was like and like who was around um yeah so there'll be all of our so we're releasing quarterly collections so this is our second one and I'm very excited Mm. about it Mm, so exciting I love seeing it develop and seeing what y'all are doing it's so beautiful and I ah, I love it I love it so much yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's very talismans are very special and mm. oh because this is so the early the the way to get early access will also be um it'll be wrapped up in ways to also engage with adola on like different levels and mm. so you can watch the mailing list for more uh yeah for more information about that for more juicy goodness obviously yeah juicy goodness mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. amazing thanks Mackenzie. Oh, thank you so much for being here, Palace. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for talking with me about your Mars placement, about Mars and Leo, about a placement that I, both of us love so much. Um, and I'm so grateful that you have been a part of my Mars series. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. I love Mars so much. This is such, yeah, this is such a beautiful, beautiful opportunity and experience to be able to hold this space. So Thank you, Palace, for being here. Thank you, listeners, whether you are listening to the audio or if you are watching the video on whatever platform you find it on. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening or watching. And thank you for being funky. I will see you the next time our fates weave together. 